Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. So that's taken from the series called The Chosen. If you get a chance to check that out, I encourage you to do that. And uh, this evening, we're gonna, we kind of have a standalone sermon. So it's in between a sermon series that we've just wrapped up called The Way, and we're kind of going next week into purpose. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I have opportunity to share a little bit um, from my heart. Um, and I just really thought uh, the sermon series that we just finished, I really felt like it really clicked with a lot of people. And so I actually want to do like a standalone sermon um, here this evening that kind of is, in the, is very much in the same vein of the stuff we've been talking about the last number of weeks. And I was having a conversation with a guy this past Friday, and we were talking about how people really seem to be responding to the gospel and to the full gospel. And we see people, even in our own church over the last number of years, and even more recently, who have made the decision to follow Jesus and to kind of go after him and, and, and make the decision to accept Christ into their lives. And I'm, a very, I'm very passionate about people coming to faith in Jesus for the very first time. And so I love seeing people make that decision. I love talking about Jesus and inviting people to receive Christ. And marvelous things happen the moment you accept Jesus. There's amazing things that happen all in one spontaneous moment that God does something in your life. He forgives you. He adopts you. He calls you his own. He places a spirit inside of you. All those things happen in your life the moment you accept Jesus. You're forgiven for everything you've ever done wrong. But that's just the start of the journey. God does all that in your life the moment you accept Jesus to prepare you for a whole lifetime and a whole eternity with him. So if you think that this whole thing of following Jesus is about that moment, it's so much bigger than that. That's a huge part of it, but the full gospel the full good news is more than just forgiveness. It's more than just merely accepting Christ into your life. It's experiencing all the good things that God has for us in our entire life and in the life to come. And so many of us are kind of getting a glimpse and picture that there may be reasons in which you came to believe in Jesus and you receive God's forgiveness and you experience that. But as you grow or maybe as you're listening to teaching and preaching and reading your scripture, you realize that there's so much more to this Jesus thing than just merely praying a prayer, but actually there's a whole lifestyle that God's actually calling me to, that the reason why I repent and believe and choose to follow is because God has a whole lifestyle of blessing ready for me to walk in, and I would just say that we can't experience the blessing that comes from God unless we live the Jesus way. And so here's the tension. And I kind of I asked this question before. It's like, how many of us in this room want God's blessing? Most of us in this room be like, yep, I will take blessing from God. The challenge is, and, 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 and God, like, how many of you know that God actually wants to bless our lives? Amen? He loves us. I mean, he gave us, like, the scripture says, that, like, he who gave his son, why will he not freely also give us all things? Like, God wants to bless our lives. But the primary way that God wants to bless our lives is by leading us and teaching us with how to live the Jesus way. Do you see it? So here's the tension. Every one of us in this room want God's blessing. 
But the challenge is, in order for us to actually fully experience that, we have to live a different way. We have to live the Jesus way. And so maybe you're stuck tonight. Maybe you're like, I'm not so sure I want to go all in with this whole Jesus lifestyle bit. You know, like, let's not be naive. There is a cost to follow Jesus, and Jesus talked about that. There's a cost to live a lifestyle of following Christ. But my hope tonight is that what we talk about here this evening, as we talk about the blessed life, as you're weighing the cost, you'd be convinced that it's actually worth it. That the blessed life that God offers to us is actually worth giving up everything and fully following Jesus. Before we dive into tonight's passage, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 tonight. Um, this is what the Bible says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, the words that Jesus said here in the video. So let's kind of set the stage a little bit for what's happening in this passage of Scripture as Jesus is about to deliver some of his most famous words. This is what the Scripture says. Um, it talks about this mountain. And this mountain, it's, it, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but being on the Sea of Galilee, um, you know, you get to see the plateaus and the steep hills. And Jesus would have grabbed one of these specific plateaus that you see and sat down with his disciples and these, the crowds the disciples and the crowds, and began to teach. And so it was, it was perfect for acoustics because the hills were sloped and Jesus could like sing right out right loud and people could hear it. And so it was kind of ideal for like just singing out and, uh, and, and instructing people with, a, with kind of these three chapters of teaching here that we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The Bible says that he sat down. Jesus sat down to teach. And so that actually fits the pattern of what rabbis would do in that time. They would sit down, and they would deliver this teaching to those that were gathered there. And the Bible says there was crowds. There was, there was disciples, but there was also crowds. And these crowds that started to gather and existed through most of Jesus' ministry, you know, are people that are potential disciples or potential enemies, okay? But we, we don't find out yet who these people are, but a number of these people that were coming to hear Jesus for the very first time were people that were potential disciples or people that were just trying to make a decision on what this Jesus person was really all about. They had heard about him. He came announcing this gospel of good news, and they wanted to just come and check out, is this good news really, really good news or what? And so that's kind of what we have happening here as Jesus kind of gets ready to share his message more fully um, with those that are listening. And Jesus spends Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, arguably maybe more than any results in one section of Scripture, he lays out the Jesus way. He lays it out. He's like, there's good news. Repent, believe in me, and follow. Now here, Jesus is saying, this is how you actually specifically follow me with your lifestyle. And he gets incredibly detailed and incredibly specific and incredibly down to earth with how we ought to live. And so they're all waiting to hear this message. Um, and in communication, like when I go to Bible, when I went to Bible college and seminary and read books on preaching, or if you read any even books on communication, one of the things that 
that they train you to do or they tell you to do is when you start off your talk and conversation, you need to grab the audience's attention. It's called a, a hook. And so in my sermon notes, I have hook written in dark font, and I am trying to get you to listen, not in a manipulative way, but I want to grab your attention. I want you to listen and hear that what I'm about to say is important to you and your life. And so oftentimes, preachers or communicators will start off their talk with what's called a hook. They'll try to grab your attention. Um, it's like my whole running story from last week, which I did go for 5K, by the way, just to let you all know. But we've all been in rooms, and hopefully, maybe it's been one of the rooms that I've communicated in, but you've all been in rooms where the communication starts off, and you've kind of tuned out within the first two minutes. Some of you are catching up on some Zs, brah. We've all been in those kinds of things. And so in those situations where, where maybe we, where our, our attention is not grabbed or we, we don't feel like this person's given us a reason to listen to them. Now, Jesus was the best communicator and is the best communicator of all time. Like, he literally was the word, okay? And he spoke everything new in existence. The best communicator of all time starts off and kicks off his ministry with what? The Beatitudes. His hook to try to get people to listen and listen for these three chapters of teaching he gets, his way of kind of grabbing people's, this crowd, the crowds and the disciples' attention is by talking about the blessed life. He was answering the question like, you want to live the blessed life? Well, let me explain to you right off the bat the blessings and in particular, the rewards for living the Jesus way. And so he starts off his message by helping people to see there's actually rewards for living the Jesus way. Craig Keener, a, a, a biblical scholar who has written a great big textbook on the whole book of Matthew, says that Jesus here is describing the rewards of the kingdom. What are the rewards for living the kingdom way, the Jesus way? And so Jesus kind of grabs his audience's attention by beginning with these, describing what the blessed life really looks like. Matter of fact, in this passage of scripture, Jesus uses the word blessed nine times. It's kind of a theme in this passage of scripture. And the crowd here were likely eager to know how do I get God's blessing in my life from this rabbi, from this teacher? What do I need to do to get blessed? And I like, even thought about this tonight. For those of you that came into church tonight, you likely have come to some degree because you want to learn what does it look like for me to get God's blessing? What do, what do, I, what do I need to do? How do I need to live? How does my faith in Jesus need to be so that I can receive the blessings that God has for me, Right? Like, like I asked that question earlier, how many of us want God, God's blessing? And we all, most of us raise our hands. And that's a real genuine desire we have. We want the blessed life. We want God's blessing in our lives. So what does it mean to really be blessed according to Jesus, the author of everything that's good, the author of all blessings? Now, Maybe it's helpful for us to start with our idea of blessing in 2023. If you and I were to define this idea of blessing, what would it be? And I think a lot of us would default because we're human beings who live in a materialistic world. 
we would define blessing often as material things, which that's partly not wrong. Like the scripture says that God, every good and perfect gift, you have something good that's physical in your life, where did that come from? God. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. And the Bible actually teaches us too in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, God has freely given us all things for our enjoyment. So this isn't downplaying the physical blessings that God's given us, and it's not an opportunity for us to be legalistic with blessing, but I would say this. Jesus is trying to help us to see that arguably the greatest blessings in our lives are not mere physical things. There's something that's deeper than the physical blessings we receive. As a matter of fact, if you look at this passage of Scripture we're going to walk through here in a moment, all the things that Jesus described are not physical. They're actually invisible qualities. They're qualities that, instead of being physical, actually are inside of you. They're, they're your inner life, your spiritual life. And so Jesus, for Jesus, living the blessed life involved a life inside of here. That's actually how you are truly blessed in Jesus' terms. And so we're going to walk through these Beatitudes together as we look at what does it truly mean to live the blessed life. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another translation says, You are blessed when you recognize your need for God. Being poor in spirit is this idea that I realize I really need God, like all the time. Like I am poor in my spirit, and I recognize that I need God to survive and to live this life. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Uh, Jesus told a story here in uh, Luke chapter 18 of, of an illustration of actually what does it look like to be poor in spirit. This is what the Bible says. In Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9, it says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I can even hear his tone in this. So funny. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector sitting beside me or behind me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Being poor in spirit means that you constantly recognize your brokenness before a holy God. Being poor in spirit means that you recognize moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, that you need the Lord. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And being poor in spirit actually comes with a promise that we get to be part of the kingdom of God. If you're poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom, Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
This doesn't mean you just go around and like cry so God can bless you. See, he was, he was speaking about something a little bit deeper here. Being mourning is this idea that, that we are grieved by what God's grieved by. You see, Jesus explained about fasting and, and mourning. He said the hypocrites, you know, go around and they'll wear sackcloth and ashes and their faces will be disheveled and they're doing it to get attention from other people. Jesus said, those people already got their reward. But he instructs his disciples that when you fast, and, you, and fasting goes along with mourning and grieving, when you fast, you go privately, you wash your face, and you bring your grief to him. And God blesses you and comforts you. Mourning is an attitude where we grieve the things that grieve the heart of God. The scripture teaches us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. It's sharing in the suffering of Jesus and because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, when the Holy Spirit is grieved, you are also grieved. And you bring that grief to Jesus in the privacy of prayer. And it's amazing when you bring your grief to Jesus, how he comforts you in your grief. And the really cool part is this. When you bring your grief and mourning to Jesus in prayer, he actually answers. He actually does things on your behalf. And one of the most comforting things is when you pray and grieve with those who grieve and you actually see God working in that situation, it's comforting. Because we're not bringing our grief to someone that can't do something in the situation. He might not change the circumstance, but he certainly will act on the behalf of those we're grieving with, even if it's ourselves. Jesus said, blessed are you if you mourn, for you will be comforted. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is this idea of being quiet or gentle. I love this definition. It says, an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. I'll say that again. Meekness is this, an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. The meek are blessed because they are making the conscious choice to submit and accept the authority of King Jesus without resistance to his will or desire. That's why the meek are blessed, because they're submitting to the will of the king and... Because they're submitting to the will of the king, they're actually submitting and serving those that they come in contact with. And this is a really interesting passage of scripture because to the Romans and into some of the Jews and in our culture today, inheriting the earth, having power and influence is done by the sweat of your brow, how much money you have, and forcefully putting your will out against someone else's. But Jesus kind of flipped it backwards, or I should say rightwards. Because he said, the meek shall inherit the earth. You want power and influence, Jesus said? Learn what it is to be meek. Learn what it is to submit and surrender fully to me and submit to one another, as the scripture says, out of reverence for Christ. That's what Jesus described as he talked the Jesus way. But 
I would just say this. It's, it's easy for us maybe to pick one of these things and like build our whole belief in God and Jesus on one of them, but Jesus didn't just say one of them. He said all these beatitudes because he wants us to embrace all of them. And if we kind of embrace one, we can build a whole belief system off of one thing. So this idea of meekness, but there's also this desire for righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I would say that in 2023 today, we have all kinds of misplaced and misdirected righteousness and people looking for a true sense of justice, but people always come up empty because we're looking for perfect justice in other places that cannot provide perfect justice. There's only one who can provide perfect justice and perfect righteousness, and that's God, the only one that's true and holy and just. And a kingdom citizen realizes that the battle for righteousness starts in the secret place with God and not on the pages of social media. Amen? I'm going to say that one more time. A kingdom citizen realizes that the battle for righteousness starts in the secret place with God and not on the pages of social media. You're never going to be satisfied if you're looking out there. It's looking up there. It's bringing your hunger and thirst for things to be made right in this world to the one who can actually make it right. Because no one else can other than God. That's why we look to him and not trust in the arm of man, as the scripture says. So instead of letting grief consume you for all that we see wrong in the world, what if we actually redirected that into private prayer when we're alone with God? What if we hungered and thirst for righteousness from the true source of righteousness? Because if you do that, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We've got a whole lot of people walking around that aren't satisfied, but there's a satisfaction that God promises, a blessing that comes from that. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Giving and receiving mercy. We get, we get really rigid with our expectations of others. It's easy in our culture today to take on like a victim mentality. And when you have a victim mentality, you hold other people hostage in your head and your heart instead of actually expressing genuine mercy to them. And I just got thinking about Jesus. Him of anyone that ever lived had the ability to hold a victim mentality, did he not? Like he literally was a victim of an unjust, cruel death hanging on the cross. He could have justifiably had the victim mentality. But what did Jesus do from the cross? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus said, treat others as you would have them treat you. How, like, let me ask you a question. When you miss the mark, when you fail in a relationship, or you don't measure up at work, or whatever the case may be, you fail as a parent, whatever the situation is in your life, how many of you would like to be shown mercy for the times you've missed a mark? Jesus said, treat others as you would have them treat you. 
be merciful, forgive, let it go. Jesus promises that if you're merciful, you will receive mercy. And a lot of us are holding other people hostage and we're not letting go, we're not forgiving, and we're wondering why we have so much turmoil inside. Jesus is like, let it go, forgive. I want to bless your life, but you've got to let some stuff go. You've got to forgive. Jesus told another story in Matthew chapter 18 of someone that was reluctant to forgive and be merciful. This is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me and I, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which is the equivalent of $2 million. <laughs> Imagine that. And since he could not pay his master, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. When the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, which is a whole lot less, okay? And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Justice. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, in, his, in anger, his master delivered him to jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, it's letting people go, not just outwardly, but in the secret places of your heart, actually forgiving. Actually, actually being merciful to those that have hurt you. Actually saying, Lord, I choose to forgive, and I'm going to be merciful. I'm not going to stand in the judgment seat anymore. I trust you to show justice, and I'm going to leave that fully in your hands, and I'm going to consciously choose to forgive. I'm going to be merciful because I want the blessing of receiving mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The author of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And kind of Jesus states it here in a more positive manner. Blessed are the pure in heart. When we're made pure by Jesus, the barrier that spiritually exists between us and God is taken away. It's clean. We have a clear connection with God. And you and I, not just when we get to heaven, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to look at the glory of God and all of its fullness in heaven and be absolutely blown away. Amen? Who's excited for that? I know I am. But what's really cool about right now, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is we are invited by the blood of Jesus, who makes us pure, to go boldly into the presence of God right now and behold his beauty and glory and splendor. 
Because we've been made pure, we have the blessing of actually being able to see God and be changed by him. Because Jesus made us pure. Think of stories like the woman at the well who felt so unclean. All these barriers existed between her and God, and Jesus dealt with all of them. Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by evil spirits, Jesus delivered. And she got to, instead of being obsessed with her evil and her struggles and her things that she was going through, Jesus broke the barriers, made her pure and holy in her sight so he could, she could actually see Jesus. What a gracious and precious gift to be made pure by God, that we actually get to see God. The scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Paul, in his letter, says to the Corinthians, you've been given a ministry. Every one of us that follow Jesus have been given this ministry. It's called the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of making relationships right. Paul said, you've been given this ministry to be peacemakers, to help people get to peace with God and get to peace with one another. That's what we're called to do as Christians is carry out this ministry of reconciliation. How many of you know that we live in a polarized, divided world? Amen? You guys are quiet on that one. But Jesus, who has given us his Holy Spirit, has given us and enabled us the power to be peacemakers. And that peace starts with fixing this relationship. See, we can do all the peacekeeping efforts we want on a horizontal level until you plug in to the one, the author, who can actually make peace. It's futile. Because we have to get this relationship right first and receive from him peace so we can get these relationships right. But the beautiful thing is, is through Jesus, he's made this relationship right, and he gives us the power to make peace this way, both vertically and horizontally. And he gives us the wisdom to know what to do in certain situations where there's division and hostility. God gives us the wisdom to know what needs to happen in relationships to help break down the barriers and bring peace in relationships. As a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you've walked into rooms when you know something's off here. You've walked into situations, or you've been in uh, situations where you bump into someone or a couple people, and you're like, oh, something's not right between these two. <laughs> you felt that, right? And a lot of us just tend to turn that off. Ah, I just don't want to care, la, 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 right? Because it, we feel it so deeply in our spirit. We feel the offness that's going on. But what if God actually gave us the revelation of those things, because he wants to use us to help bring peace. And the Bible says, you're blessed when you have peace. This is one thing that I believe. People in this world don't know how to resolve conflict. We see relational strife all over the place. But you know someone that knows how to resolve conflict? Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. And he wants to give us the wisdom to know how to navigate some incredibly complex, difficult, challenging circumstances. And when God gives us the wisdom to know how to navigate and stick handle those situations, people will recognize us as children of God because they've tried all the other things and it's just not working. But the worship team and prayer team to come.
Now, I mean, some of us would like to grab that peacekeeper thing and like, man, that's my mission, and that's good. But again, these Beatitudes are meant to be embraced as a package. You want to live the blessed life? You can't just like pick one and not have the other. Now, most of us would pick the other ones probably first. The last one on our list to pick is probably the last one on Jesus' list here. This is what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. How many of y'all want to be persecuted? No one. But Jesus says you're blessed if you're persecuted. And while we represent the Prince of Peace and bring reconciliation to things, the kingdom values that we embrace as followers of Jesus are different than the values that are formed in the world. Amen? And we will be persecuted for following the Jesus way, for having a different value system than the one of the world. And you know what? That's okay. And it's actually more than okay. It's actually blessed. Jesus says you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. You're blessed when they revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And you know what Jesus says to do? He commands us to rejoice and be glad. Why does he tell us to rejoice and be glad? Because our reward in heaven is great. We're blessed. The last thing that Jesus says is this, because he doesn't want those that are kind of making a decision on this Jesus, this new rabbi, who's offering to say this good news that I have, he's wanting their eyes to be wide open here. He's wanting them to give him a heads up. Listen, if you decide to follow me as your rabbi with your lifestyle, with the way in which you live your life, I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to go through difficulty. People are going to revile you and say untrue things about you. But Jesus says, you're blessed because of it. And so Jesus lands this sermon with this idea of blessing. Now, how many of us, again, want God's blessing on our life? How many of us want to live the blessed life? If you want to live the blessed life, what I'd encourage you to do is spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to do what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 12. And I promise you, according to Jesus, you will truly experience all the blessings he has for you. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.